Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax, you have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us, holding to pure grace. Again, relax, join in with us. Listen on, be blessed. Defenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill, and I'm podcasting next to my longtime buddy, Grace Guard Dog Steve. Hello, everybody. Hello, guard dogs out there. Hoping to have another awesome podcast. We want God to speak and show off more of his wisdom. Let let him glorify himself today and show us things that we've never seen before. Just ho- hoping he'll reveal spiritual thoughts expressed in spiritual words, spiritual truths. Let God reveal those to us today. I charismatically concur. What okay, I'm showing off. <laughs> I learned a, a new word. No, it's it's our. I made a word, parismo. Parismo, yeah, the the abundant word. We said we would get back to it, so I thought I'd throw it in there, so, see if I could catch you off guard. See, so so you were saying you abundantly agree, exactly. I uh, abundantly agree in abundance. I agree. I parismo, concurrently, parismo, which is exactly what we said we would do one of the upcoming podcasts on was this idea of abundance. I think when we were doing the couple podcasts that we did on free will, um, we said we'd do it in the next podcast, which we forgot. Of course we should. We're not promise keepers, so we're okay. Yeah, he is. We should, should have said James four fifteen. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. So we did, but the, he is the he promise is. keeper. Yes. And probably the greatest promise in all the Bible is the promised Holy Spirit. Yes. Yep, that's the greatest gift to this planet, I think, so far. Just so people have an idea of what we're talking about, maybe you could review the podcast before. Yeah, yeah. We were, we were doing the one we did the praise his ways where we were showing that his ways are higher than our ways, but we've been given the spirit to know his ways. And then before that, we were doing the, the idea of free will and whether we had it or not. And it was showing that there's plenty of verses that talk about how enslaved we are in our own human strength to sin and to futility and to failure. We're we're enslaved to that. And like Jesus says, when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And it takes the spirit of Jesus to set us free. That's why Paul said, "I, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death and 
he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, who set me free from this captivity that I was in regarding sin being more powerful than my human determination or more powerful than my willpower, like it said in 2 Peter or 2 Timothy 2.24, we as guardians of grace should be gentle in hopes that God would grant the people that we're talking to repentance and that they would come to their senses and a knowledge of the truth and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do the devil's will. Captive, not not free, but being held in bondage by the devil to do the devil's will. And our freedom comes through none other than our hero, Jesus, stepping in and setting us free through an abundance of his spirit, which is our abundance word that we're going to to look at. Just one more thing about that. In in Romans 7, I guess I took the bait from someone on Facebook, and I responded back to them. It was about, they said, it's the Bible is clear that we have choices and we make choices. And I said, well, I looked up the word choice, choices, choose. Every one of them in the Old Testament is, I, God said, I will demand I choose the place I choose. Only one says, choose this day. But just two verses later, the people said, okay, that's, that's our choice. And he said, you won't. You can't. He's You're unable. Holy. You're unable. You're a witness against yourself that you chose to serve the living God. Their choice was just fine. Choices has never been the issue. It's that our will is overpowered by the sin guy. That's Romans 7. There's three key words in Romans 7. There's slave which can never be confused with freedom. Prisoner, which can never be confused with freedom. And the word poieo, which is not a single... Yeah, not a single time do I do the thing I will to do. Not one single time do I ever do what I will to do. But I prazo the thing I don't want to do. I habitually practice what I don't will to do. There's just no way you can get freedom out of those passages. That's in Romans 7, 14 through 25, let's say. Just, it would behoove you to read those for yourself and read them a hundred times. And the other thing is, you don't know why when you're doing it. And in Romans 7, he unveils the mystery of why we behave like we do and why we go in sin, even though we love God and want to do the right thing. And we ask ourselves, why did I do that? Why did I do that? The answer is in Romans 7. They answer that mystery that's been hidden 
for all these ages. Why do I behave like I do? The answer is right there for you to read in Romans 7. You can read the answer to the why do I misbehave question that you've asked yourself for so long. And he says it's because sin dominates my human determination and makes me a prisoner and causes me to do what I don't will to do and not to do what I do will to do. He says, nothing good is in me that is in my human nature, where my human determination comes from. Nothing good. The willing to do it or the wishing to do it, and it's really the word willing, the willing to do it is there, but the doing of it is not. That's why Philippians 2.12 said, it is God who works in you both to will to do his good pleasure and to carry it out. God is doing that. Through an abundance of the Spirit, the actual word that we're going to look into today. Yes, it is. Did I just start in before you finished your review? No, but we, we, we got it. No, you, you were going right with the review. Okay, I did not will to do that. But <laughs> <laughs> apparently I did. Yeah. So that brings us to, to Romans 8. Yeah. We, Where you can do what you will, will to, to do, do. Um, after just showing us that it's God who put that desire in you to do and the ability to do. That's why what Jesus said in John 10.10 10 is such a profound statement. He said, I came that you might have Zoe life is spiritual, eternal life. I came that you may have zoe life, not bios life or suke life, not your human life. You already have that. You've already got that. But I came that you may have zoe life and have it in abundance. He said the word abundant, or he said more abundantly, You can't imagine what the ramifications of that statement are. He said that was his mission for coming down here, that we would have this Zoe life more abundantly than what? Than our suke life. We would manifest the spirit more than we would manifest our own human nature as much as it desires to do good. Jesus is saying, I came down here that you would manifest Zoe life, that you would manifest the spirit abundantly, that there'd be more spirit in you than there is human nature. And that brings us to Romans 8. Which is the same word in John 10, 10. Yes. So go back to there. The abundant word is the parismos. I know I'm not pronouncing them right that's okay that's okay as long as we learn what we need to know and remember our Romans 8 was I pair I is what the conditional clause if the spirit is in pair for that modifying parismos 
or if this modifying the spirit, the type of life. I'll get it right. Yes. If I pair, if in abundance the spirit, then you do the things you want to do that you can't do by just gritting your teeth and choosing to do it. Right. We should go to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5, where it says, If I pair the spirit, if abundance of the spirit, the mind is controlled by the spirit. And it is the idea of being controlled by the spirit. This says, the mind controlled by the flesh is anxiety, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The mind controlled by the spirit. If I pair, there's an abundance of the spirit, then the mind is controlled by the spirit. You are, in effect, in the spirit and not in the flesh. Do you remember Galatians 3, 3, where it said, are you so foolish after having begun in the spirit? Are you now going to try and attain the goal of the Christian life in the flesh, in the human nature? No, this is saying if you're in the mind of the spirit, it's life and peace for you. It's zoe. That's what Jesus said. I came down that you may have Zoe more abundantly. And when you have Zoe more abundantly, you are manifesting the mind controlled by the spirit. It's just such an awesome thing to, to think. I'll try and read Romans 8, 9 in okay. the Greek the best I can. Yeah. You, but other things... Who, which is one of the words for not, you other things not existing in Sark's flesh, but other things, Allah, in the spirit, conditional clause, I pair. If so be that the spirit of God is at home, dwells in you. So the I pair is if in abundance. If in abundance of the Spirit, then Which the Jesus mind, says his life is abundant. That's what he came down for us, to have an abundance of the Spirit. You see, in John 10, 10, he was actually saying, I came down here that you would have life in the Spirit and have it in abundance. Because when it's in abundance, you produce the mind-controlled by the spirit and you're not producing the mind controlled by the human nature so let, let me get this because I, it's important when we think in abundance we mean say I have four quarts of flesh I need four and a half quarts of spirit but that's really not what it means right the spirit is always in abundance of the flesh so when the spirit is moving in your life, so to speak, it's always going to be an abundant life. Yes. It's, the spirit life is always more abundant. The spirit life dominates the suke life. Yes. That's it, how it, you get in the spirit when it's in abundance. And it may or may not be. The suke life 
doesn't stand a chance to overpower the Zoe life. No, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. You don't see anything in Galatians 5 about the flesh winning. But when the flesh wars against my human nature in Romans 7, you see where it makes me a prisoner and overpowers my human nature. The, the mind of the flesh kicks my human determination, but or sin in the mind of the flesh can kicks the flesh's human nature's butt and overpowers it. But it does not overpower the spirit. And when the spirit is in abundance, you become controlled by the spirit. That's why the grace teaching is so important. Yes. And that's why, I don't know, four or five years ago, someone threw this monkey wrench in and said, beware of this dangerous hyper grace. Do you know it's the same word we're talking about? I know. Remember Parismo? Yes. It says where the sin did abound. Right. Grace does hooper perismo. More abound. More abundant. Yes. The, the grace of God, which is the spirit of God's power, is always abundantly over whatever the flesh may do or the sin in the flesh may do. Yes. It is stronger. And when it's in abundant, you are in control by it. And that leaves you back to dependency upon God. You're doing what we would call waiting on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will actually exchange strength, meaning exchange from human strength to the spirit strength and mount up like on wings of eagles. But you're waiting on the Lord to manifest himself through you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Now, I'm not an expert on eagles, except I do expect them to win the Super Bowl someday. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. But uh, I heard someone say this, and I'm just guessing it's true. But it says... Mount up on the eagle's wings. Those who wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings of an eagle. Apparently, eagles don't fly on a whim. They wait for the right wind to effortlessly... I guess you don't see eagles flapping their wings a lot. They just no. they just seem to like put the wings out and rest yes. on the Spirit's power. And if I remember right, didn't we look up that word? Those that wait on the Lord and wait was that trying to remember the Hebrew word, but it was it meant to twine, intertwine. That's it, right, intertwine. That's right. Those, Those that intertwine, intertwine their strength, strength shall mount up as wings of an eagle. That's right. That's right. It's that the same idea as the word. Yeah, it's the same word as used when Jesus said the the single. If the eye is single meaning it's entwined together with the spirits. Yes. 
sights, mm-hmm. then the whole body is full of light. Yes. But if it's not, the whole body is filled with confusion and futility and darkness and frustration. There you go. Again, another classic example of flesh and spirit, light and darkness. Constantly, the Gospels and the Epistles are giving us example after example after example, just like if the the eye is light, the whole body is light. If the eye is dark, the whole body is dark. If the eye is in the spirit, the whole body is controlled by the spirit. If the eye is dark, then the whole body is controlled by the human nature. Jesus' exact words. Coming straight from Jesus. It's amazing how profound his words are and how veiled they were because he always spoke in parables so that seeing they would not see and understanding they would not understand, at least not until he pulled off his death, burial, and resurrection because it says if they understood that, they would not have crucified him. But it was veiled to them through parables so that seeing they couldn't understand, see and understanding they could not understand until we get past the crucifixion and we get into the epistles where the parables are explained. And he spoke the parables so they wouldn't be seeing them or understanding them. Exactly, exactly. But it turns out that they were constantly laying down the foundation of the new covenant. That's what Jesus was doing with all his parables and his sayings that made no sense. You must be born again, Nicodemus. That's wild until you know that we were born from above through the Holy Spirit like Paul said, I fathered you through the gospel, meaning when I spoke the gospel to somebody, the spirit of Christ in me gave birth to a spirit in you. Nicodemus didn't realize any of that, but in the epistles where Paul is writing, he makes it plain as day. And uses the Old Testament scriptures to point it out what was hidden. That's what no eye had seen, no ear had heard. The, the purpose yes. of Jesus. Yes. But the purpose of Jesus was to show us that there's a new covenant and a new way of life where we live our life dependent on the Spirit of God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We wait on the Spirit to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We are dependent on that spirit because, like it said, it may or may not happen. You don't know whether you're going to embarrass yourself and manifest yourself or you're going to shine and manifest Jesus. But when you do shine, you should give Jesus the credit for what he is doing through you. That is the judicial system of this new covenant that we're talking about. Giving thanks in all things. Giving God the credit for what he does and then 
you are rewarded for the things that you give God the credit for. That's the judicial system of the new covenant that we're on to, that we're in, that we live in. Before we get to our point, you just brought up something that I always found it hard to under... I, I had the wrong perspective of God. Like he says, give me the credit, giving thanks in all things, always giving God the, the credit. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but it, it that sounds like, what is God, a, a glory hound? He has to get credit for it? He's mad at you? Not at all. Not no. at all. And you know what it is? That's the way he created us, to be dependent upon him. So when we give him the credit or give him thanks or depend on him, we're actually living the best way possible. We're living the best possible life we can live at that moment when we're giving thanks. One example that stands out is the the feeding of the 5,000. There's obviously a major problem. We got, what, two fish, five loaves, and five to 7,000 people, if you count women or children, a lot of people. And Jesus' prayer isn't, Father, we need more food. Father, we need, is there someone else that has fish? Can you point them out or make them not hungry? He just gives thanks. And then he starts passing out the fish and the loaves. And then when the last person gets fed, the multiplying stops. All those 7,000 people were living the abundant life because they were depending on God the Father to supply all their needs. In other words, they were living the way they were created to be, and there's no greater joy than living the life you're supposed, the life you were created to live, a life of dependence on the Spirit. In, in other words, what what you're saying is, God is the greatest of us all. Therefore, He's the servant of us all, and that's all He ever wanted to do was serve us. And we just have to let Him serve us. That's where we find our joy and happiness and security and peace. It's not ever found in what can I do for God. It's always found in appreciating what he does for me every day. Yes. And that teaches us that only God can do it right. See, we give him credit for doing right because he did it right. And we didn't. And we have to learn that we don't and he does. So by giving thanks, we, we learn why we're giving thanks. It's because he does it right and we don't. We need to learn that one lesson. It's what the whole Mosaic Law was all about. It was there to point us to Christ, to dependency on Christ. And we need to understand that we depend on him, so we will depend on him. And he can do it for us because we can't do it ourselves, never could. Giving thanks teaches us 
to depend on him. And in the wilderness, every day they had manna. And they never had to collect tomorrow's manna. They had daily bread. It didn't stop them from picking up a, a couple days' worth. But, but you see, living in dependence upon God for everything is the ultimate in living the life we were created to live. I guess I'm in trouble mm-hmm. saying it, but mm-hmm. hope that's coming across. So, so instead of me saying it, let's let the Bible say it. Okay, where are we going? Let's go to Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. Okay. I'll read from the NIV. It's a little easier to read. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And let me read the King James See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So I I like that a little better because redeeming the time, that word time there is our word kairos, season, when we're going through rough days, the days are evil. Redeeming the time. So it says... You see how it's not what you do, but how you do it? He says, be careful how you walk. Isn't that the exact same thing he said in 1 Corinthians when he told you how to store up treasures in heaven? He said, as a wise master builder, I tell you, be careful what foundation you lay because nobody can lay a foundation other than Christ. So to be wise in how you walk has to have something to do with walking in Christ. Exactly. And it's, so he's saying, be careful how you do it. Not so much what you do, but how you do it. Are you going to do it in the energy of the flesh? Or as our synonym, human effort? Or are you going to do it by the power of the Spirit? Verse 17, and then we'll go back a little too. Wherefore, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So the, the Lord's will is to stop going to bars. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> Bill. That's, that's what it's all couldn't, about. Couldn't be it just more clear. Stop doing something. <laughs> Do you know that the the analogy is comparing two things? Being drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, and is compared to being filled with the Spirit. There's To be filled means to be under the influence, just like being drunk on wine means to be... Under, under the, the influence, influence of wine or under the influence of the Holy Spirit, which is meaning under the control... Of the, of the wine or under the control of the Holy Spirit, which is the same thing it was saying in Romans 8, the mind of the flesh, the mind controlled by the flesh is death. The mind controlled by the Spirit 
is life and peace, for the mind controlled by the flesh does not subject itself to the laws of God, nor is it even able to do so. The mind controlled by the flesh cannot please God. Exactly. It's the, the influence of your flesh or the influence of the spirit. You're going to be controlled by one or the other. And it is like you're pointing out, it's saying be careful how you do it. Are you so foolish after beginning in the spirit? Are you now trying to do it by human effort? That's a how. Not, a, a, not a what you do. It's a how, how you, you do, do it. it. This is a how you do it. And he's saying, I want you to know what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will is not so much a how, uh, a what, but it's a how. It's to be led by the, filled with the Spirit, under the influence of the Spirit. He just compares it to being under the influence of wine, so we have a, a visual. And that is where Romans 12 would come in. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody into your heart, in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't that mean giving thanks to him in all things is his will? And it's for our benefit. So let, let's go back to be careful how you live, not as unwise. Okay, let's go back to that thought. But as wise, making the most of every opportunity, for the days are evil. That word opportunity is our kairos word. It means seasons. And didn't he say, speak to one another in psalms? hymns and spiritual songs isn't that what Psalm 1 says blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly be careful how you walk be careful how you walk be careful how you live or nor stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful sit walk stand Ephesians is the same <laughs> outline as Psalm 1 sit walk stand Ephesians is seated in heavenly places, walking after the Spirit, and then it ends up taking your stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, exactly. So it says, the days redeeming the time. That word time is our word kairos again, which is in Psalm 1. Blesses a man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, sit, walk, stand. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, or the teachings of the I am. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Isn't this talking about day and night? And it says, he shall be like a tree planted by the river, which what? Bears fruit in its season. Didn't this just say, Season here, let me get it. Redeeming the verse 16. See that you see then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every season. 
And that's how you redeem the season for the spirit. You're going through a trial, right? You're going through a season, a rough patch. And you've learned by the spirit to depend on the spirit to, as we just said, wait on the Lord, entwine your strength with the Lord. That is making the most of every opportunity for the days are evil, but you're going through a season, a trial, uh, a rough patch in your life, and you've learned to depend on the spirit, entwine yourself with the spirit. You've waiting on the spirit. That is what it, Ephesians 5 calls redeeming the season or redeeming the time, making Re- something. Redeeming the moment. Redeeming the moment. Making a bad thing an opportunity for the spirit to shine forth. Making the trial you're going through, which is the season you're going through, you're waiting on the spirit to manifest itself, to I pair, be in abundance. And guess what? The spirit buys back the moment for you. It becomes something defeated in the victorious, abundant life of Christ. I had trouble saying that because it, it's it's hard to explain. It, it's easier understood by experiencing it than explaining it. The reason we have trials in our lives or so is because the spirit can be in abundance in a trial. The manifestation of the spirit is greater when there's a trial, when there's no opportunity for the best human effort possible to get you through the trial. The spirit, everyone says, how did he do that? How did he endure that? How did he get through that? Where did that wisdom come from in that 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 bad situation? The trial proves oh my gosh. it was the spirit that did it. And I think that word is in there. The dokimos word is in there. I know it's in the proving the, the acceptable will of God. The one mm-hmm. you just mm-hmm. the first the Romans twelve twelve yeah yeah. It is the dokimas. So it is the will of God, John 10, 10, to have life in abundance. Su- not suke life. Zoe life in abundance over suke life. And when that happens, then you're redeeming the, the season. You're buying back the season. In other words... To put it in modern terms, you're kicking butt, dude. In you, the spirit. Yeah. The, the bad trial has come up and everybody else is failing, but you're shining. You're you're showing the patience and the wisdom and the kindness it needs to get through the trial, to get everybody through the trial. And it's all because you're manifesting the spirit in the trial, which is what the trial is designed to do. Prove what you're manifesting either the trial causes you to manifest the human nature where you have no patience at all or the trial causes you to produce the spirit of god where your patience is limitless and your kindness is limitless and your wisdom is limitless 
kindness and your love and your goodness is all limitless when you're manifesting the spirit. When the spirit is in abundance, which is what Jesus said he came to do. I came that you might have Zoe life and have it abundantly more than you have the fleshly life. And the more that we depend on Christ in us, the hope of glory, the more we see him in operation. You can literally, once you've learned these things that we're learning here at Guardians of Grace about the abundance of the Spirit and that you can manifest the Spirit, that the trials bring out either the Spirit or the human nature. You can begin to see God working everywhere. Everywhere, I'm telling you. You can see Him in your neighbors. You can see Him in your wife. You can see Him in your boss. You can see him working everywhere for you. You can see him working right through you, but you can see the power of God everywhere. It's going on all the time. God is alive and God is real and he's here right now and you can see him and that's what these doctrines are supposed to enlighten your eyes to that you can see him every day. Didn't he say I'll make a new covenant with you and you won't have to teach each other, experience God from the least to the greatest. They will all see me. Yes, we will all see God. Every day we can see God. We can go and talk to God because we can see him manifesting himself through a person and go talk to the living God. We live by faith, not by sight. We see what is unseen what is seen is temporal temporal but what is unseen is eternal and we can see that eternal life manifesting itself through people all the time and we've got the whole letter of first john to teach us how to know when to fellowship because it gives 20 examples of either fellowshipping with the flash or fellowshipping with the spirit. There are so many doctrines, temporal doctrines in these epistles and in these gospels about the flesh and the spirit and fellowshipping with it and the fact that you don't have to fellowship with the flesh at all. And just on and on it tells us about different things and different aspects about knowing the flesh or the spirit. I'm telling you, It's a huge topic in the New Testament. It is the cornerstone. It is the foundational topic of the New Testament is understanding that these verses are talking about either flesh or spirit in many different ways, a couple dozen different ways they're talking about the flesh or the spirit or the flesh or the spirit or the flesh or the spirit. They tell us what happens at the end of time to the flesh and the spirit. They tell us what happened at the cross to the flesh or the spirit. They tell us what happens day to day to the flesh or the spirit, through the flesh or the spirit. They tell us that we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us, not in human effort. They tell us we're foolishness to carry on the Christian life in our own human effort after beginning our Christian life with the Spirit. 
please don't be foolish. Please understand these scriptures for what they're saying because it, the New Testament is saturated with these illustrations of the flesh and the spirit. It's all about it. It's the subject of the New Testament, Father. And Bill, do you think you can maybe pray that we, our eyes can see these things? Yeah, I pray that, Father God, open the eyes of our understanding, enlighten the eyes of our heart so that we would know the hope of our calling, the riches of our inheritance, and the incomparable power that's available to us just by believing, relying on your spirit. It's going to take your spirit to open our eyes because we're to look at things that are unseen, which is you, Father, and not what is seen, the surrounding trial. Teach us to rely on your spirit moment by moment, day by day, depending on your spirit, relying on your spirit, trusting in your spirit, strengthened by your spirit, empowered by your spirit, dependent completely upon your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys. We love you. Good night. Good night.